crowned him as king and God and Lord. There's those responses, but also there's been other responses. People who are maybe merely inquisitive, people who are maybe just coming for the purpose of the healing but don't care about Jesus himself. Uh, there are people who probably ignore him as well. And then there are people who are downright hostile towards Jesus to the point of wanting to kill him. So there's this whole array of different responses to Jesus' ministry. And it's in that context that he begins this teaching we're going to read today. So let's pray, then we'll read chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. And if you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to open it up and follow through with the Bible in your hand. Best thing to do, I think. So have the Bible right in your hand. But if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Uh, we can either get you one or we're going to project it on the screen as well for your convenience. But let's pray and ask God himself to speak to us. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for the life that you give through your word. We thank you, Lord, that we know you through your word, that you speak to us and, and you make yourself known. You address us personally, Lord, even when somebody speaks and a pastor preaches your word, you speak to us individually in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for that. And now, Lord, all of us, we say, Lord, we want to hear from you. Would you speak to us? Would you tell us what we need to hear? Would you fill us with life in your name? Would you adjust anything that needs to be adjusted? Would you make us more like Jesus? Lord, I pray for those who don't know you yet. Lord, would they see your goodness and glory? They see their own lives in light of that and realize that they have something offered to them in Jesus, far more precious than anything else. They would give their all to you, to trust you and follow you. Lord, speak to us. Use me, Lord. I, I need your help. I can't do this without you. I only want to do it with you, so use me. Speak to us, and may you receive all the glory we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Again he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was alone and those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that 
They may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. These are the, they are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. When I was a brand new believer, 30 plus years ago, everything was so new for me. I had not to that point heard a clear explanation of Christianity. I had grown up around it. I had heard lots of things about Christianity, lots of truths, and looking back, I recognized that those those were truths. But I had up to that point, from what I remember, never heard a clear, concise explanation that Christ had come as God in the flesh. He had come to live a righteous life, that he had come and he had offered up that life on the cross, that, that perfect holy life, and shed his blood as God and man both to pay for my sins. That he rose again on the third day, victorious over sin and death, and now offered to me forgiveness new life, eternal life, if I would only turn away from self and sin and turn to him and believe him. And I did that. And it was all so new to me. It, it was just amazing. I just can remember being amazed that there's this truth, there's this reality of, of, of Christ that, that can mean forgiveness and new life and, and everything gets changed by this simple message. And I was so excited. I was so just in awe and everything was new and and the, and the truth of that message was so um, powerful in my life. And I had never heard it clearly put before. I thought if I just simply told others who were like me, who hadn't heard it before, they would have the same experience. And so guess what I did? I started telling other people this message of the gospel, of Christ's death and resurrection, of forgiveness and new life. And, and I expected, like what had happened to me, that they would be like, I never heard that before. And they would turn and trust and come to Christ. And you can probably guess what happened. They didn't. And I got really frustrated. And matter of fact, sadly, I was still a brand new Christian, pretty raw. I got really angry, and I can remember actually swearing uh, in front of them because they would not respond to the gospel. It was just a simple message. Don't you get it? He died for your sins. He rose again. Just trust him and follow him. Simple. Why can't you believe it? What, what's going on? And I won't repeat my swears, but... Um, I, was, I just didn't understand. 
I thought, if, you know, simple message, life-changing. And I needed to hear today's text for that. Uh, I needed to hear it back then as a new believer. I needed to understand that there's this reality, that the seed goes forth, the word goes forth, and there's all sorts of reactions. Jesus' disciples and followers needed to know that. They needed to have a grid to interpret their experience as they followed him because they were the ones who were being impacted by this truth. It was changing their lives, and yet they saw people they respected even, authorities, leaders, rejecting Jesus, even being hostile in that rejection. They needed to hear this truth. We need to hear this. If you're a new believer or an old believer, you need to be reminded of this truth, that there are many different types of soils. There are many different types of reactions to the word. But also, we not only need to hear it as, as someone who maybe dispenses the word, as fellow sowers, but also as receivers of the word. So this message, this text, this passage for today is not only for us as disciples who are part of the sowing of the word, but as those that receive the word. And, and it's a combination of response, really, when we learn the truth here, that we are to both persistently be patiently so, so so it calls for persistent patience, but also sober assessment of our own lives. What sort of soil am I? That's part of the intention here. Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He wants us to hear him from this passage. He wants to hear us to hear these truths, both as ones that might distribute the seed, but as well as ones who receive the seed. So let's go through dig into this passage and learn about this wonderful parable, really parable of the soils. I titled the message, Six Seeds, Six Results. We're going to walk through uh, these different results, these different seeds. They're all the same seed, ultimately, that go forth in the different results. So we're just going to walk through the text here. Jesus tells this parable. He, he gets in a boat. Actually, again, there's a large crowd, huge crowd following Jesus. They're coming to Jesus because of the impact he's having. He's changing lives. People are being healed and delivered from darkness, and they crowd in on him, and he gets in a boat again. Remember, he had done that before. Last time, um, he probably did teach. Mark just didn't mention it because of what he wanted to emphasize. But now he wants to emphasize the teaching. So Jesus gets in this boat, and he sits down to teach. Uh, that was what was done traditionally back then. And I actually kind of like that arrangement. It was the other way around back then. The teacher got to sit, and everyone else stood up, usually. Um, Want to try that today, guys? No, you're allowed to. You're allowed to sit. Uh, but he's sitting down to teach, and he tells this story about a sower going out to sow. And this is a story from everyday life for them. It, it for us, it may need some ex explanation because when a farmer wants to sow a field nowadays, he gets in his tractor, right, and he puts the seed in the back, and he drives down and, and it puts the seed in the ground. I think I, I'm not a farmer, so I don't know how it works, but he goes, it's all done fairly automatically. Back then, it was done differently. They would go out, and, and basically outside all the villages, they would sow any bit of land, that, they would plow any bit of land that they could, that could possibly uh, support crops. So they would just plow everywhere, uh, even in areas where there were paths and so forth, you would just go out and just plow it all up. And then the farmer would go out and, and have a, an apron of sorts full of seed and just grab a handful and just start throwing it everywhere walk across that acre or so and just cast the seed. It would be about 20 pounds of seed for an acre. Throw it everywhere. And it would go in all sorts of places. 
Some of it might go where there was a path that would be trodden uh, at some point, so a normal path through there. Some of it would fall on soil that was shallow and rocky. That's the, the, what the ground is like there. And there are thorns everywhere, so some of the seed would go where there are thorns. That was normal. So Jesus tells this story about this sowing that really was normal, very normal for them. They all knew exactly what this looked like. Actually, it's very remarkable about in the story that it's a totally unremarkable story. It's unremarkable. Jesus tells them something they knew and saw all the time. This is, yeah, of course, that's exactly what goes on. And then he says at the end of it, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And they're thinking, what? This is like everyday life. It's like a car came to a, a red light and stopped. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Like, what are you talking about? I see that all the time. Or maybe, a, you know, a modern-day parable uh, equivalent of this would be a sales clerk from Best Buy gets in his car, drives to work, he unlocks the door, turns the open sign on, and many customers come to his store in the course of the day. Some look around but walk out without buying anything. Some select a product and go to bring it to the cashier but decide, I don't want it, and just leave it. Others come in to return their product. And then some people come in and actually buy products and use them. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. That's a normal story. That's what happens at Best Buy every day. What's, what's the lesson here? And, and th they would have thought that. Many of them would have thought that. And actually most of them, from the, we read the storyline, they're, they're wondering what's going on. So his 12 disciples, along with all those others, and we don't know how many there were who are close to Jesus, 72, 120 or more, they come and ask him afterwards, what was the meaning of that story? Help us understand. And there were probably other parables he told at the time. They want to understand these parables. They want to know, what, what, are you, what are you teaching here? And it's really remarkable to see what Jesus' response to them is. He says to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but to everyone else it's just a story. It's a parable. It's a parable to them, too. But it's just a parable to everybody else. But for those who have been given the secret, it's different. It's more than a story. What is the secret? What is the secret of the kingdom of God? And, and when Scripture talks about secret, or sometimes in some translations it uses mystery, it means something that's hidden. It doesn't mean something that, that like, is impossible to know. It just means it's not immediately obvious. So Jesus is saying to you guys, it's been given this key that isn't immediately obvious, the secret of the kingdom of God. And this sort of language of the secret or the mystery of the kingdom or the mystery of God is used throughout the New Testament. And if you read further in other places throughout the whole New Testament, I think you'll learn this, that this is the secret of the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ. He's the secret. And these people who are close to him, those who have realized that, that, that the secret is Jesus, that we need Jesus, that this isn't just a, a miracle doer. This isn't just somebody who has something good to say or something good to do. This is somebody who is the Messiah. This is someone who's our Savior. It makes all the difference. 
So these are those that are close to Jesus, coming to him and realizing that they need Jesus. And Jesus is essentially saying, you guys have the secrets. You recognize that you need to draw close to me, that I'm the secret, that, that Jesus himself is the truth incarnate. He not only brings truth through parables, but he brings truth through his very life. His life is truth on display, ultimate truth. Now, they probably didn't know the whole story yet, but they knew enough that they knew they had to come to Jesus. And the whole story we'll learn as we follow through Mark and we can read through the scriptures that Jesus came not only to teach truth and to live truth and to do great miracles, but he came to die on that cross, to die for sins, to fulfill all of scripture, to give his righteous life up on a cross, <clears throat> to fulfill God's justice for the wages of sin is death. And yet God in his love, God so loves the world that he doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to everlasting life. And so the way for him to reconcile his love and his justice is that he came as a man, Jesus Christ, and died for sinners on the cross to pay your penalty so that you can be forgiven and the penalty, have the penalty fully paid and be reconciled to him and be recipients of his love and live in his love. And then he rose again on the third day, victorious over sin and death and comes to offer not only personal salvation for all those who turn and trust, but ultimately universal salvation for the universe. For He's going to change the universe, and then all those who have trusted in him, there'll be forgiveness. Those who have rejected him, there'll be eternal separation from him. But he comes to bring all this. He comes to fulfill all scripture. He himself is the secret to the kingdom of God. And he himself, knowing him and coming to him, makes all the difference. When you come to him and you hear him teach truth, it suddenly takes on a life that you didn't know previously. It's not just a story. It's truth. Those near to Jesus have the secret. Those who are far away don't have the secret. So these are just stories. And so it says, Jesus quotes, drawing from Isaiah chapter 6, for those who are outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. The sad story is, for those who are outside, these are just stories, parables, to maybe to be entertained or ignored. This is the, the history, really, of what God's Word is like. God's Word is a double-edged sword. It comes with truth. And for those who are being drawn to the Lord, it brings life and hope and peace. And for others, it, it becomes something that either drives them away or they just want to ignore or just a story. This is how God's word acts. It, it is this double-edged sword that, that reveals where people are. Your reception, your response to the word of God says far much more about you and your spiritual state than it says about the truth itself. Your response is not about how true the truth is. Your response is an indicator of your heart and where you are spiritually. That's the key truth in all this. There's a story of a tourist who was at the, the Louvre, the great art museum in Paris. He was looking at the portrait of the Mona Lisa as the guard stood by. And after looking at it for a while, the tourist said, nah, 
Now, I, I don't like this. To which the guard replied, Sir, this masterpiece is no longer the subject of critique. It critiques its viewers. So Jesus' parables and God's truth critique its listeners. And that's what's going on in this parable and really in the whole word of God. This parable is actually a parable about parables, isn't it? It's a parable that explains people's reactions to parables. It explains people's reaction to the word of God. It explains that there are multiple responses. There are those that reject and on different levels, and there are those who receive and on different levels even. And the 12, along with the others, have the secret. They've come to Jesus. Now, it's interesting to note that they don't understand the parable. It's okay not to understand the word of God at times. But if you have the secret, you'll get an explanation. If you have the secret, if you come and recognize it's you, Jesus, I need you. Give me insight. Help me understand your word. He will be kind and merciful to explain. And so he explains to those who have come to him what the parable means. So let's, let's follow along in his explanation. He says, first, he under, explains to them that the sower sows the word. The sower, the seed, represents the word of God. It's the word of God. And, and when the scripture talks about the word, it, it doesn't uh, mean so much the entirety of scripture, though it, it can imply that, but, it, but usually it's shorthand for the core of scripture. So when it says the sower sows the word, it's sowing the word of God, the truth of God, but really that is ultimately pointing to the core of that truth, its central element, which is the truth of Jesus. So in the New Testament, it talks about the word of God, and it, and it means the truth of Jesus Christ, of his death and resurrection. He's the word, capital W, incarnate. He's the focus of the word. Really, all of the scriptures uh, point to Jesus or draw from him, ultimately. He is the center of the word. And so the sowing of the word is the sharing of the truth of Christ. That's what the sowing of the word is, ultimately. And... This, in this parable, the sower sows the word. He sows it broadly. Now, I said earlier that the parable is not about the sower, and it, it really isn't. It's about the soil. And parables are usually focusing on one key truth. That's just a good principle to keep in mind. Uh, sometimes people read parables and start, like, drawing all these 100 different truths out of a parable. Uh, that's really not the intent. The, usually the intent is one kind of, boom, big message to bring home. The big message here for us is there are many reaction responses to the word of God. Right? And there are ways to that truth as well. So this isn't so much the parable of the sower about the sower, but there is this truth and in in this encouragement, I think, for us to note that the sower just sows the seed broadly. He just casts the seed out broadly. He goes out into the field, and he doesn't worry so much about placing it in, in all the right places. He just throws it out there. He casts it out. And that is a picture for us as believers, as ones who follow after Christ, to be sowers of the word and to do it broadly. And don't worry so much about where it lands and exactly what's going to happen. Use any and every opportunity you have to sow the word, to tell people about Jesus. And that's going to look all different ways. Sometimes you're going to have a chance to share the whole truth of the gospel or even more. Other times it'll just be a little bit of a story about how Christ has impacted your life or one truth about in Scripture that points to Jesus. It can be all sorts of things. So, so we're called just to sow to, to gather that seed in our hand and just cast it out and look for any and 
every opportunity we have to share. I, I have had opportunities. I've seen people take opportunities. I, I have a friend who recently was stuck in a broken elevator. Uh, and I think for hours, if I know, get, remember the story right, and what did, he, what did he do with that opportunity? He shared the gospel with, I think there was one, at least one other person in the elevator. While he was there, he sowed the seed. There was an opportunity for him. He took it. I remember one time I was, uh, I was at a public swimming pool, and they had a, a sauna, and it was like 170 degrees. I'm sitting there in my bathing suit in the sauna thinking I'll be there for five or ten minutes, and this guy comes in who was from uh, Asia. He was a Buddhist, and we started talking. He, start, he starts asking me about Christianity, and I start telling him, you know, sweat dripping down <laughs> from my forehead, telling him about Christ in the, in the sauna. I didn't expect that. God gives us these opportunities. And we are to sow the seed, and we don't always know what's going to happen. You know that? Sometimes we sow the seed, and something unexpected happened. My wife, Peg, uh, came to Christ because of her roommate, uh, who was not a believer. And the way that happened is there were two young ladies who came to follow up with her roommate about doing an evangelistic Bible study. And so they set this up, and Peg heard and actually ended up being part of that. And Peg came to Christ. Her roommate didn't. They sowed the seed, and there were two reactions. They didn't know, but it was to take root in my wife's life. So we are to sow broadly as believers. I think we should be encouraged by that. But there are all sorts of reactions. There's the seed that falls on the path. It falls on the path. It's out there in the open. It doesn't take root. It's not plowed over. It's exposed. And it says that the birds come and peck it away, and Jesus says, that's Satan. He comes, the seed gets sown, someone hears it, but he's actually involved. Isn't that interesting? When someone hears it, immediately rejects it, forgets about it, that's actually Satan coming in and pecking the seed away. The seed is taken away, and it doesn't ever take root. 2 Corinthians 4, chapter, chapter 4, verse 4 says this, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So he's at work, blinding people, pecking away that seed and taking it from somebody. That's one of the reactions. And people can be blind, and, and we need to understand that. Sometimes there's they're just not going to be a response, or there'll be a rejection. Now, don't be discouraged by that. That's part of the reality. You're not responsible for the response, okay? Your job is to sow the seed, to, to love people, share Christ when you can. It, the response isn't up to you. It's up to them. It's up to the Lord, not you. And you don't know what the long-term response is going to be. I shared earlier, you know, about coming to Christ and not having heard the gospel ever before. Well, as time went on, I started to reflect, and I realized that when I was younger, um, when I was in Catholic youth group that I used to go to, it's kind of crazy. I would go every Sunday and live this crazy life. But anyhow, I'm there on a Sunday, and there was a group of young people who came in to talk about the difference Jesus had made in their lives. And they must have shared the gospel. But I don't remember why. Because the seed got pecked away. But I can remember them being full of joy and, and very enthusiastic and, and then sharing. One of the guys shared his stories about, about uh, alcohol and getting in trouble with the police and all these different things. And I remember my response. I, I, I remember this part. I said, what a loser. You need Jesus. You know what? I was doing all the same stuff. I was a loser too. But my blindness to the gospel at that point caused me to reject it, and the seed got pecked away. But within a year, I heard the gospel and came to Christ. So don't be discouraged. 
keep on sowing the seed. I said earlier that this message is about, uh, it helps us who sow the seed, but it also helps us who are to receive the seed as well. There may be one here today, and you know that you've heard the gospel before, and it's got pecked away. It's got ta- it was taken away by Satan. Today might be the day that you're to receive it. And I would urge you, if you're hearing the good news today, receive it. I cannot promise you you'll have another opportunity. I cannot promise that to you. You have an opportunity. You're here today. You're hearing the gospel. It's being offered to you by a gracious Heavenly Father who loves you and wants you to know Him. Wants you to be rescued from your situation. Wants to redefine your life on His terms. Those are good terms. Believe and receive the seed today. Don't allow it to be kept away. He who has ears to hear other seed falls on the rock. This is shallow soil. This is shallow soil, and the seed falls there and gets plowed over. It starts to grow. It grows up, and then the sunshine comes. The, the hot weather comes, and there's no root. It's a very shallow soil. It can't put down roots. It can't draw nutrients. It can't hydrate itself, and so the sun comes, and it withers, and this is the seed that receives the word of God with joy at first receives the word, hears the word, and says, this is the most amazing news I've ever heard, and, and responds. But then when trials come, when there's persecution, when there's hardship because of the word, because that person is claiming to be a Christian, the, and, and because of that choice, and, and Christ, Christianity, choosing Christ, is no guarantee of comfort. There's spiritual comfort. It is guarantee of spiritual comfort and eternal comfort, but not of temporal necessarily. Christ himself suffered on the cross are to follow him, and it means we will suffer. There'll be an eternal comfort, and there'll be a comfort from God that helps us along the way. So there's no promise of that, but what can happen with this one? It receives it with joy. There's persecutions. There's no root in Jesus, and so it withers. And it says, you know what? Forget this thing. I give up. Sadly, I know many people like this who, in the face of persecution and trial and hardship, do an about face. I have friends who seem to be very enthusiastic about Christ, and yet when things became difficult, they turned. I shared the gospel with a young woman in college, I remember, and she was so excited to trust in Christ and to find life in Him. She came from a Jewish background, and she was ready to give everything to Jesus. She, she, she would just talk about how she wanted to serve Him, so excited, and she prepared to go home and tell her family. I knew it was going to be difficult. She went to her family, told them about her newfound faith, and her family said, you have two choices, us or Jesus. Which one do you want? Sadly, she chose them over Jesus. When persecution came, she said, oh, I, I give up. And she came back from, uh, I think it was spring break, if I remember right. She told me the sad news, and I was grieved. I was grieved to hear it. But it is the reality of what goes on. I certainly don't want to see this happen, but it is just this reality when the seed is sown. And there's a lesson in that for us. I'm not responsible for this young woman as much as I want to see her walk with Christ, as much as I care about her spiritual state. I'm not responsible for that. And neither are we. The second lesson that goes with it, though, is for the one receiving the word. And to recognize to recognize that 
perseverance in trials is a sign of genuinely receiving the word. And that if the word is in me, if I've received this word, it will show itself by persevering through trials and persecution. And so for the believer, there's an aspect that we should be secure in knowing that we're rescued. There's also the aspect of that, that scripture says, he who endures to the end will be saved. Ultimately, we're not sure of the reality of the seed in us until we're at the end of it all, when we're finally endured. And that endurance comes because it's genuinely taken root. It's, it's the grace of God, but it's proven through endurance through trials. So what do we do about that in trials? We recognize that he keeps us, that we hold on to him as well. Those two truths are there in Scripture. So as we face trials, let's run to Jesus. Hold on to him and get, make our roots go down deep into him so that our faith may be proven genuine and we may receive fullness of our reward. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Some seed fell in the thorns and took root and grew. Then the thorns choked it, caused it to be unfruitful. Jesus says the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. This is probably for me the saddest and scariest scenario because this one starts out and it looks like it's going to go out and maybe make it over the long haul, but the, the thorns come up and choke it and keep it from being fruitful. This one is distracted and stifled by other things. The cares of this world. What does that mean? Well, those are things like the need for money or advancing a career or providing for children or providing a retirement account or putting bread on the table or buying a home or whatever other care there might be. There's nothing wrong necessarily with these things. They are legitimate needs, food, clothing, shelter, these other things. But the problem is that these cares of the world become distractions and we take our eyes off of Jesus and put them on the needs. And our lives become about these needs being met and us worrying and working to somehow find these needs met. Our attention is drawn off of Jesus. It's the cares of this world and then the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things is thrown in. These all really are very similar Money is deceitful. Nothing wrong with money, but it can deceive. It can lure us to think I can find my life in money if I just had enough. If I just had a little more. That's actually what Norman Rockefeller, uh, right? Ro Rockefeller said. Is it Norman Rockefeller? Said, the wealthiest man in history, really, uh, said, How much money will make you happy? He said, Just a little more. That, that's the deceitfulness of riches. If I just had a little more, then I'd be fulfilled. There's nothing wrong, again, with money, but it's this idea that I can find my life in money. There's nothing wrong with God's creation. There's other things. There's a desire for other things in God's creation. Take the place of God, and we start to think, this is, this is what will bring me happiness. This is what will bring me purpose and life and fulfillment. I can find it in this thing. And it becomes an idol chokes us and we're unfruitful scripture is very clear that the lack of fruit in a life is the lack of genuine faith it comes from the lack of genuine faith 
you will be, you and I will be evaluated on Judgment Day by our works, by our lives, by our fruits. Not because fruit saves us, not because works save us, not because doing things somehow you know, tips the scale, we do more good than bad. That's not how it works. We would never be able to outdo the bad with the good. Only, it's only Christ, his good, in our place, our bad, taken on him on the cross and paid for. But our works, our lives, indicate who we really are. And so judgment will be by our works, by our fruit. You will know them. And so on judgment day, he will look at the fruit and say, yes, this one belongs to me because there is fruit here. This one doesn't. This one actually said he or she belonged to me, but I don't see it in their lives. Lack of fruit points to lack of genuine, real faith. Judgment Day will not be a good day for those without fruits. As I read this section, this one, like I said, scares me. It scares me. It scares me because I am tempted by all these things all the time. All the time. Every day, and sometimes it feels like every moment of the day, I feel the allure of these things. I feel myself being drawn to find my life in money, in leisure, modern comforts. I see myself making idols even of good things like food and relationships and possessions. I'm often worried about the cares of this world. I feel like I'm an ADHD Christian. And so Jesus says, look at here, Paul, focus on me. It's about me. And I look for a moment, and then I'm like, oh, look at that over there. What's this over here? Go back here, Paul, focus. Oh, what's this over here? I need this. This will make me happy. Go this way. Back here, Paul, that's my, that's my day. I don't know if it's yours. No. Well, you guys need to help me learn. It scares me. The thorns scare me. What am I to do? What are we to do? Keep on looking back to the one who is the secret of the kingdom of God. Keep on looking to him and knowing that I'm going to fail. He, he knows that. He expects it. That's why he died and rose again. But I keep on looking to him and heeding his word. He tells me to cast all my anxieties on him because he cares for me. He tells me to delight myself in him. And he will give me the desires of my heart. He tells me that he will always be with me to the end of the age. He tells me he will never forsake me. Therefore, I need not fear. He tells me to fellowship with him even in his suffering. He tells me not to put my hope in money, which is so unstable, but in him who richly provides for every good thing for my enjoyment. He tells me to find my purpose in this, glorifying him and enjoying him forever. As I do this, and draw my attention back to him, then I shall be the soil, and you shall be the soil that produces good fruit. He who has ear and ear to hear, let him Finally, the good soil. There are actually six different seeds here and six different soils. Three where there are 
bad responses, then three where there are good responses. They're all kind of summed up at the end here. But there are three different situations where there's good responses, three types of good responses. And it's interesting to see in Mark's use of language, I don't know if you caught it, but he talks about the three bad responses in the past tense. This is what happened to them. He talks about the three good responses in the present tense. They accept it. They receive it. They bear fruit. And the idea here is that they hear it, they accept it. It's an ongoing experience that goes on. It's full. It's rich. It's continual. And that's the experience of the one who's the good soil. They hear it. They receive it. They experience these things. They come close to Jesus. They're like the the 12 and the others who have come to Jesus, who know the secret. They've put their faith in Christ from beginning to end. And as they abide in Christ, they will live in forgiveness and grace and power and life so they can be fruitful. And there will be different levels of fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. These are amazing, rich results for seed to produce so much as it's fruitful in the soil. It's glorious. Some of us are going to produce 30-fold, some 60, some 100-fold. And if the band could come up as I close, I I just wanted to share one story of someone I know who I believe produced 100-fold fruit in her life. Her name is Monica. She's one of my heroes. She's a lot like other heroes I have. She was a Christian. She's with the Lord now. She heard the word as a young lady, gave her heart to Christ. She married a man with a prestigious job, but terrible morals. Her husband, Pat, cheated on her, abused her. And in her day, there weren't many other options for a woman in a situation like that. So she stuck with him. She continued to be a faithfully devoted wife, a loving mom. She brought up her children to trust Christ amidst difficult circumstances. She herself lived as an example before them of prayer and trust in a desperate situation. Her oldest son, Gus, was extremely gifted, extremely gifted, and extremely wayward. He was a wild man, a partier, a ladies' man. He uh, got a top-level education and used it to promote his own reputation, disregarded his mother's example, truth, yet she remained faithful and prayed for him and continued to exhort him and her husband to trust Christ. Gus, when he decided to be spiritual, got involved not with Christianity but with a cult. Disregarded his mother's pleas. But she never gave up. She kept on praying for Gus and her husband. Monica looks like a lot of other heroes that I know that After many years of tears and disappointments, finally, God got a hold of Gus's heart. He trusted in Christ, and her husband Pat did as well, right before he died. Gus's newfound faith flourished. He ended up uh, going into ministry. It was ordained. He became a great church leader. Matter of fact, he's probably known as one of the top five or ten leaders in church history. You don't know his name as Gus, but you know it as Augustine, St. Augustine. And now you know the story about his mom, Monica, who was an example of good soil. 
and through her life produced fruit a hundredfold. Through her life of quiet prayer and desperate dependence on Christ and faithfulness. As we receive the word and live in it, we too can produce fruit like Monica. He who has ears to hear thank you for this amazing teaching. Thank you for how it informs us and helps us as sowers of the word to sow and not give up, to understand and expect different reactions, to have faith and joy at the thought of the 30 and 60 and 100 fold receiver. Thank you for how it teaches us to soberly assess our own lives by your grace, we might be that soil that produces good fruit like Monica. Lead us in this. Help us to hear you, O God, we pray.